Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over three-quarters of a million times in over 160 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jewel Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. This is episode 264 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in this week's episodes, we talk about micro-adventures. We hope you enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. Now, as we record this podcast, it's August, and for various reasons, we found ourselves having done less hiking than we usually would this far into the year. And believe me, it's not for a lack of trying. This caused me to think about what was really keeping us from going bush. Was it the lack of time, or was it the inability to think laterally about what constitutes a hiking adventure? And I must admit, I have a certain mindset when I think about hiking, I think in terms of day hikes, overnight hikes, or multi-day adventures. Uh, But what about micro-adventures? In this podcast episode, we look at what micro-adventures are and how they can be used to get you out bush, even when you don't think you have the time. Now, first up, what are micro-adventures? term micro-adventurer was made common by British adventurer Alistair Humphreys, and put simply, it's an outdoor adventure that is small and achievable for normal people with real lives. I like that. Normal people with real lives. And yeah, and he goes on to define adventure is a loose word that means different things to different people. It is a state of mind, a spirit of trying something new and leaving your comfort zone. Adventure is about enthusiasm, ambition, open-mindedness and curiosity. If this is true, then adventure is not only crossing deserts and climbing mountains – Adventure can be found anywhere, every day, and it is up to us to seek it out. So that's a pretty succinct description there of what a micro-adventure is and what, for that matter, what an adventure is as well. And this also brings to mind a term that we've, and most other people are are probably familiar with, is hike your own hike, where a hiking adventure is defined by an individual who is doing the hike rather than a preconceived idea that somebody else or the industry has actually set. So doing a 30-minute urban or bushland hike is just as valid as doing an overnight or multi-day adventure. So Humphrey's definition is about real people with real lives, and I think that that applies to a lot of us. We all have limitations based on our own personal experiences and situations that do limit how much time we have available. So essentially doing what you can when you can really is the option. So the first micro-adventure we're going to talk about is uh, one that you have uh, without even leaving your home. And, uh, you know, we've done this um, not too often, but we certainly did it during uh, the COVID lockdown when we were uh, desperate to get out of the house, but the only option we had was to uh, go to the, the grocery store. And so we decided that we would camp in our backyard and we did it 
you know, full on. We dressed up, we pitched the tent, uh, we ate, ate our food and uh, it was from memory uh, around late April and it was pretty cold. We slept in the tent and, uh, you know, we just had a great time. People thought we were insane, but <laughs> it, it was a good it was a good thing to do. It got us out of the house when uh, we needed to get out of the house and, uh, you know, when we couldn't go too far from home. And and I think um, at that time we were also talking to people about doing other things in their home. So, you know, if they didn't have a backyard, uh, pitch their tent on, on a balcony. If they didn't have a balcony, pitch their tent in the middle of the lounge room and just make it fun and do some silly things and you know, in a way, it's a little bit like, you know, doing what kids would do to to create your own excitement and create your own adventure. And I think it's one of those things, I think a lot of us as kids, providing we had a backyard, have actually camped or slept in the backyard. But, you know, when was the last time we as adults actually did that? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, particularly if you feel like you're sort of going a bit stir crazy, whether it's because of a pandemic or some other reason you can't get out. Camping in the backyard gives you that opportunity to get out, to have a play with your gear you may not have had, had familiarity with for a while, and just just enjoy the experience. Yeah, and it, you know, and you don't have to have a reason like COVID. I mean, it just might be you don't have time to get away, or you, for whatever reason, you don't have transport to take you away. So, you know, create create your own adventure. From there, we move on to. Going close to home, so we're moving away from our house, and and but still not going very far from home. And I think it's one of these sort of things. I've I've lived a few places around the world because of my father's job. I I don't know what it is. Australians just seem to want to travel, travel. Big, big distances yeah. to go somewhere. So. I can remember as a teenager that had just got a license driving to Brisbane in a 10-hour straight stint from Canberra. I'm sure um, it takes longer than that, Tim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sure it should take longer it than should, that. It should, yeah, yeah. No breaks, just a straight 10-hour drive because that's what we did in those days. Uh, or even, you know, for us, we go down the coast uh, and our closest coast is around about 90 minutes away. But that's we don't think much about that. We think about travelling big distances to do whatever we want to do. But there's no real reason that we have to. So staying close to home is something that's uh, that's perfectly valid. Yeah, and there's a hike that we uh, do regularly, mostly to test out our gear and so on. And it's in the the fringes. It's the only campsite in, in our territory and it's on the fringes of uh, town. We walk for, I think it's about three kilometres or so. And, you know, we camp at the campsite. And what's really interesting is that, you know, when you're camping there, you see lots of people doing their morning exercise or riding, you know, their mountain bike through or whatever it might be. So, you know, you're not that far away from the suburbs. It's a proper campsite and, you know, it's great to be out there. For us, we our closest bushland is around about 300 metres away at its shortest and I've been walking this, this area for most of my life. I know it really well. It does get you into bushland. You're either walking on single track or you're walking on management road uh, or a combination of both. But I've done walks that have been 18 to 20 kilometres in that area and it's all been on the edge of the city uh, and, and you come across houses from time to time, but certainly you are in bush without having to get in the car to drive anywhere, to actually go anywhere. You know, you might only want to walk 
10, 15, 20 minutes, or you might want to walk for half a day or a day. The choice is yours. And, and I think, you know, as much as I've done a lot of these, these walks over most of my life, they're always different. The weather's different. The, uh, the time of the day is different. The time of the year is different. It all gives a different perspective. So even though I'm familiar with it, I tend to ex- have a new experience every time I go through and do this walk, even though I've done these walks so many times before. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's an interesting one because what that's about is expecting the unexpected and looking beyond what you think is the obvious stuff and looking a little bit more closely and, you know, being able to appreciate those changing days and those changing seasons. And I think the thing is as well is um, quite often people say, look, I don't, you know, I'd rather do something longer or something more complex. I'd rather go away for a weekend. The weekend's always there, but being able to do something during the week, whether it's before work or after work, that might only be a short time or a short distance, it, the opportunity's there, rather than waiting to the weekend and then all, then all of a sudden something coming up and stopping you from going or out. the weather's not great or, yeah. So, yeah, give take the opportunity to do both. You know, do stuff during the week and if you get more time in the weekend, then go for a longer trip or a longer adventure. So the next one we're going to talk about is peak bagging and essentially peak bagging is uh, collecting peaks and putting them in your bag, I guess, or your virtual bag. So the idea is that you seek out peaks um, and it might be the tallest in an area, it might be a series of peaks, but essentially you're you're just climbing the mountains um, or the hills if you've only got hills in your area. And again, you're creating an adventure and creating an interest. And I think also perhaps a motivation for doing something that's a little bit different. Now, for us, you know, we did a what we call the Canberra Summits Walk, and there's something we just generated ourselves. I wanted to try and hit as many of Canberra's main peaks uh, and mountains and taller hills and do, do it as one route. Uh, so now, admittedly, this was about 81 kilometres, so it's probably hard to describe it as a micro-adventure. We did it uh, over a few days and, yeah. and we went home at the end of the day. <laughs> now, the first day we actually ended up walking home as part of the trip. Second day we we finished where we were and got a, got a, a transport home and then we got dropped back off the next morning uh, where we finished off the day before and finished off our walk and got a lift back home again. So we weren't camping out because that was a – it really wasn't allowed in the area we're in. Uh, but it, it gave us an opportunity. I mean, I'd, we'd walked most of these hills previously, but we'd done them as single and solitary experiences. And putting them together as a continual footpath, mm. what that meant was we got to see parts of the city that we've lived in for much of our lives that we'd never seen before, certainly not from foot. Yeah, and I think the other thing was that the the ascents were often different to the descents. Not always, but... Um, there were probably more occasions where you went down a different direction because we were connecting them up uh, rather than up and down in the same place. And we had done the up and down, but even that means that you've got a different perspective and a different view of that same hill or that same mountain. Yeah, so I mean, you don't have to do something as big as what we did. I mean, it might be. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. do that, and it was hot. <laughs> yeah, it might be as simple as saying, "Well, okay, we in our case we did twelve peaks. If you haven't done all the peaks in your area, say, okay, well, 
you know, we, we recently did a, a podcast on goal setting where the hiker we, that we interviewed did a 100 walks in a 12-month period. Now, he'd got, gone through and set himself a goal to actually achieve these walks, and he'd set himself some criteria as well as far as distance and uh, an, an average distance as well for the walks. So, you know, he, he set his own goals there and doing the same in your local area, even if it's a matter of doing, well, I haven't done all my peaks in my own hometown, I'll walk each of those, I'll do one a weekend or one a month. And it's surprising, most people will often bypass things that aren't so obvious or major, uh, writing them off as not being worth it. Or maybe they are so obvious, so they bypass them. <laughs> maybe they're right in front of their nose and that, that's why they bypass them. And yeah, peak bagging is probably a good example for that. Uh, I know in Canberra there's a a series of walks where, and again, this is peak bagging as well. Uh, apparently, we have approximately 104 trig stations uh, in Canberra. <laughs> uh, so there's the summit markers, uh, and people have actually done the 104 trig stations in a 12 month period. Some of the hills, you know, with with our walk, we did 12 12 of them in three days. But certainly, you know. Picking something like that, and I know in in the Canberra region, one of the trig stations has been there for over a hundred years. It's more a pile of rocks with a stick, but you know, again, it's a historic trig marker that we haven't seen before, and only only came across because we did this particular walk we were looking at. From there, we move on to hiking in the rain. Now, I think for a lot of people, when they first start hiking, they they tend to be what your best class is fair weather hikers. They like hiking in warm but not too hot or not too cold weather. They don't like it too windy. They like a bit of sun. They don't want to have to sweat too much. Uh, So they pick what you'd class as perfect conditions. And I must admit, I do like perfect conditions. I've got no argument about that. But my definition of perfect conditions is probably different than most people. Uh, For me, my optimum temperature is probably about 12 or 13 degrees. Anything hotter than that, I start to sweat a bit. But I've also done hikes in 38 to 40 degree weather as well. So it's a matter of what I'm willing to do as opposed to what I want to do. And hiking in rain is another good option for that. Just because it is raining, it's not an excuse to say, oh, look, it's wet. I'm not going to go outside. Uh, you know, there's a saying, there's there's no rainbows without rain. And I, and I think that's it. You, you do get rainbows when it is raining. But you see things differently. The Australian bush smells really wonderful when it's been raining. You don't tend to have a lot of crowds out there because people tend to hibernate. There is so much to, to see in when it has been raining. And we're not talking about torrential downpours here. Although, again, I've done hiking in torrential downpours and I appreciate the challenge. But, you know, having a bit of rain, providing you have the right gear and you're not getting saturated and you're staying comfortable as far as warmth is concerned. The saying is there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad equipment comes into play here. Or bad preparation. So I have actually walked the suburb uh, when it's been raining pretty heavily and we had uh, quite a lot of wet weather and it came the weekend, it's still raining and Sunday it's still raining and I'm desperate to get outside and just donned all the kit and uh, went out and did a very long walk. And, you know, that was through the suburb and what surprised me was the way in which the water was flowing across roads that I thought were, you know, pretty indestructible in, in my local area. And it, it just created a whole different perspective on, you know, that particular place. And uh, it was actually quite pleasant. And by the time I got back home, uh, I was 
you know, dry, wet on the outside, dry on the inside and, uh, you know, hung the gear up and felt quite good because I'd been out uh, and, you know, breathing the fresh air. So the next thing we're going to talk about is our desire to chase the sun. And I think, you know, we, we probably um, overstate that a little bit. We aren't nocturnal creatures, but every now and then it's it's not a bad idea to either uh, get out during, you know, pre-dawn or, you know, continue on after dusk. And if you're really in adventurous, I mean, maybe go for a night hike. You, again, you see things very, very differently and, you know, you do want to be in an area that is safe. So if you're concerned about that, convince somebody else to come along with you. But it's a very different perspective when you're hiking at night or hiking in the dark. And we get so used to using our torches and using a headlamp. Sometimes when you turn those things off, you can actually see more. And so that's a really interesting kind of test to do when you're doing this kind of hiking. But you Again, you do get to see some really interesting things. You don't have to go far from home to enjoy some f- fabulous sunrises if you start really early in the dark or, you know, if you're starting later in the day, experience the, the sunset and continuing on. And I think, you know, if you go through and have a look at the uh, cover image for this podcast on the Australian Hiker website, there's an image of a, a sunrise and it's quite surprising, actually. You look at it and think, oh, yeah, that's that's going to be a wintertime photo. The photo was actually taken in mid-December. It was uh, just after 5 a.m. in the morning, and it's looking down towards Canberra Airports, and you've got this blazing orange sunrise starting to happen just over the hills. And just in the foreground, there's... Canberra Airport and it's it's got mist on it, which is an odd thing to get in the middle of Jan- in the middle of December. And me, I quite often am out and about walking. Uh, and in the case of this image through here, I'd probably started walking around about twenty past four in the morning because I was up. That's my normal get up time. Yeah, and, and yeah, uh, you know, I, re- I reached the. <laughs> That's sun- when I sleep. <laughs> And I'd reached the summit around about five o'clock uh, and taken this photo because it was just, you know, if I had taken the photo to the right, we're looking over Canberra's central area with all the, the historic buildings in it, which I love, but I certainly love this view probably more. You know, it's, I started the walk in the dark and, you know, finished with this. And as I'm walking down, the sun's certainly coming up uh, much more. I think for me as well, one of the other things I like about these sort of walks, you know, coming doing doing walks into sunrise, particularly during wintertime, uh, about once a year, and it really is a combination of factors that just reach a peak where you get a full moon, it's really clear skies, it's a heavy frost, and as a result, because of all the light of the moon, I can do a walk that I'm really familiar with without my headlamp because it is so bright because of the moon. And because of the frost, everything, you get this crystalline sort of look to the landscape. As I said, I only tend to get this once a year. This year, I've only had it once, and we're getting approaching the end of winter. Last year was probably the same again. But it's just something that if you don't do something different, it wasn't a long walk. You know, In total, from leaving home to getting back was probably about an hour and 10 minutes. But it was just such a spectacular walk, and it just makes you feel alive. Yeah, that, that sounds lovely, except the fact it's so early in the morning, Tim. <laughs> Now, the next, the next thing we're going to talk about is being creative. And this is something that's really only come about in, in any main form over the last few years, and that's Strava art. 
Now, there's an app called Strava, which is used for monitoring hiking, running, cycling. Uh, so it's a fitness app. And one of the things that people have started to do is create artwork. And we've provided an image in the written version of this podcast of a, a T-Rex that somebody has walked into their, their It's pretty impressive. Their, their landscape. <laughs> and I picked this one, this image in particular because it was pretty recognisable. And if you go and do a search for Strava art, you'll be surprised about what people can actually generate. You know, pictures of the Mona Lisa, you know, pictures of couples, of animals, uh, of bicycles, uh, all connected through walking down streets. And they've gone through and designed this on the app to start with and set up the trail and then gone through and walked it. Uh, but yeah, and it is in the suburbs. Essentially, they've been, you know, walking through streets and in their local area. And the, and the image of the T-Rex is actually in Melbourne. Uh, so, again, there's there's images from Australia, there's images from overseas. It really is amazing. So, you know, if you want to do something different and be creative, I'm, I'm sure it probably helps if you're a good artist to be able to transfer an image onto a landscape and a, a series of streets uh, and then to actually work out how to do it. Uh, I, I, I or maybe have, you could just use someone else's. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, That's been created. I must admit, I, I love planning, the planning aspect of hiking just as much as hiking. So I'm sure you know, some of these things have probably taken people hours to work out uh, and to design these things. But, yeah, it's, it really is amazing what people can go through and achieve. So the next one we're going to look at is geocaching. As, essentially, if you can think about it as a treasure hunt where you're using a GPS and there are all sorts of trails that have been marked uh, around the country. It is quite popular but probably not that well known. And in particular, it's a great way to get kids uh, interested in getting out and about and, you know, who, who can resist a treasure hunt? Um, and we've, we've done it when we were visiting some uh, family and there was a a little bit of a, a trail nearby um, and it's pretty easy to do. You just need to go online to the geocaching uh, website and, and, and find some uh, trails or walks in your area um, and pretty much you can use, use your phone as you go around and the idea is that you discover little packages of things that are hidden in the landscape. Uh, so it is essentially a bit of a treasure hunt um, and so easy to do and, you know, it can be quite interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's it's good fun, quite a good activity to do um, with a group of people or, you know, with your kids. Now, really, you, know, you do need to download the app, but the app is free. But if you want the extra features involved and you're really into it, then you're paying an annual subscription. I don't know um, if anybody ever says they're really into it, but... Uh, <laughs> Lots of people have done it. <laughs> and I know on the write-up we did on geocaching a while ago, uh, I've got a, an image that um, has got 100-plus cache locations in an area that's about 225 square kilometres, but that's in the centre of Canberra. So, you know, you could keep yourself amused for days, if not weeks, going through and, and ticking all these off. And I know there are some caches in some really remote areas uh, around the countryside. So, you know, if it, it is a matter of treasure hunting. And if, you know, and those pe- most people will remember from a few years ago, Pokemon Go. Again, that was an app with you, you do with your kids. And pretty much that's a virtual oh, there were a lot of that. There were a lot of adults who were doing that too <laughs> and not looking where they were going. <laughs> 
So, yeah, it, you know, it certainly seems to have dropped off the radar now. But, again, it's a way of keeping the kids active and keeping them amused. All right, so really what we've gone through and talked about is just a selection of micro-adventures. And it's, this by no means is an exhaustive list. And, in fact, we will be doing some uh, different options later in the year, uh, which we're going to do some separate podcasts on. Keep an eye out for that later in the year. There really is no end to the type or style of hiking adventure that you can take part in. And in many respects, micro-adventures are highly versatile, but not always requiring minimal time. Ultimately, what it comes down to is don't limit yourself to traditional views on what is or isn't a hiking adventure. Instead, be creative and do something that you may not normally consider. You may be surprised at how much you enjoy these short adventures uh, and how it, it introduces or reintroduces you to an area you thought you knew well. Okay, that's all for this week's micro-adventure podcast. We hope you've enjoyed. That's all for now. Bye for me. And bye from me.